Tim Cummings was supposed to preach today. At the last moment, here I am. In a couple weeks, we'll get back to Hebrews. But, though I had the outline ready, I didn't feel prepared to preach that today. So what I'm going to preach about is something I've preached many times on the streets. I can't do that much now. But I call this Mighty, Mighty Jesus. This is a passage of Scripture. Perhaps you have read these stories and never thought about them being just one day in the life of Jesus Christ that shows the mighty power of Jesus. Here we find five ways that display the power of the Son of God. Here, recorded in one chapter, Luke 8, but also in Mark 4 and 5, the gospel writers tell us about what Jesus did in one day of ministry. And I suggest you, you can search throughout history. Confucius didn't do this. Buddha didn't do this. Muhammad didn't do this. Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, Mary Baker Eddy. Nobody could do what Jesus did. Because Jesus is 100% the Son of God and 100% human. So here, in a normal day of his ministry, perhaps a year or so after his baptism, traveling around Galilee, using Capernaum as his own base. What do we see recorded in Luke 8 and Mark 4 and 5? Now, I'm not going to try to exposit this line for line, but tell you these stories of what Jesus did and what it means. And I want you to see that you call yourself Christians, you trust Christ, that here is Christ, the mighty, mighty Son of God, doing things no one else can do. And Isaiah said, and we quoted that, he has borne our infirmities and taken our sickness. And when John the Baptist sent disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, 
first section, starting in verse 22, Jesus and the disciples decide to lead, leave the western side of the Sea of Galilee, get in a boat, and cross to the eastern side, a Gentile side, the region called Gadarene, which is not today in modern Israel. It's in the country of Jordan. It's not a Jewish area. And so, they are out on the Sea of Galilee. And what happens? Jesus takes a nap. He's human. He gets tired. He gets hungry. He rests. All the disciples, perhaps all 12 of them, perhaps in several boats, but while they're out there, a storm comes up. The waves are crashing. The boat is about to sink. And they're afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid that you might drown? And so what do they do? They wake Jesus up. Master, don't you care? No, Jesus is at peace. It's not his time to die. He will die on the cross at the hands of the Romans. That's a legal sacrifice for sin. So Jesus is at peace. He's at calm. He's not anxious. But in his compassion for his men, who are afraid. What does he do? He gets up and he speaks. Peace! Calm down! And immediately, Luke and Mark tell us, the wind stopped. The sea was calm. No need to be afraid. And he challenges them. Where's your faith? Why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the power of God? And they're surprised. Luke says, they talked about this. Who is this God? He talks he speaks. There's no magic tricks. There's no conjuring. There's no rolling the dice. There's no, no chanting. This is not the occult. This is the power of the Son of God who has power over nature because he's the co-creator. Jesus speaks, and all is calm and safe. The first display 
Jesus this one day. Now, they arrive on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The sea is about eight or nine miles across. So it takes some time to sail there. When they get out of the boat in this Gentile region, a man runs down, meets Jesus on the beach. Somehow, he knows who Jesus is. The demons who possess him know this is the Son of the Most High God. And he falls down before Jesus. Now, Luke and Mark tell us he's out of control. You can't chain him up. He's so wild and crazy. He breaks chains. He mutilates himself with rocks. He cuts himself. He screams. He shrieks. He lives outside the city. He lives in the tombs. Think of this. How bad is it to be controlled by the devil, by a demon? You're not yourself. You're not in your right state of mind or emotions. You don't think clearly. You don't care for your body. You're not sociable. You don't hold down a job, or go to school. This man is as far from normal society as he can be. Who cares for him? Nobody. He's an outcast. And he has, he has no help because Satan comes to kill and destroy. And Satan has this man in bondage. We don't know what the gateway was for this man to be possessed. But Satan rules him. Furthermore, when Jesus as the name, the demons reply, Legion. Now some commentators say, a Roman legion is a thousand soldiers. Others say, six thousand. So, at the very least, this man is controlled by thousands of wicked spirits who are out to destroy him and send him to hell. The demons beg Jesus, Son of God, don't send us. <laughs> 
bricks. About 2,000 bricks. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of profit. That's a lot of food. And the big keepers are upset. They've lost something valuable. They go into the village and they tell everybody, you know that God we couldn't control. Jesus did something. Everybody goes to see what happens. And what do they see? Luke says, they see the man sitting and instead of being naked, clothed, and in his right mind, he's talking sense. He's rational. He's been 100% delivered. And the people are afraid because there's been a visitation of God in their presence. And they don't know what to do. Most of these people are not Jewish, don't know the law of God, don't worship God. They worship idols. They're pagans. And yet, God, the Son of God, has visited them. How gracious is God, even the Gentiles, who don't know Him, and worship Him the wrong way. They want Jesus to leave. And Jesus is going to. He agrees to get back in the boat, go back to Galilee. The man says, wait a minute. I want to be with you. Think about it. If you were this man, miraculously delivered, wouldn't you want to be with Jesus? Bartimaeus, Mark 10, regains his sight. Mark says, he traveled with Jesus. This man wants to be with the Lord Christ. How about you? Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to fellowship with your Savior? This man does. But Jesus has a different mission for him. No. Stay here in this Gentile country. Go back to your village. Now, this region is called the Decapolis because there are, are ten cities. And Mark tells us, Jesus said, go tell your family your friends, your villages, the mighty things 
God did for you. And they said, this is what he did. This untrained man becomes an evangelist for Christ. And many people in this region of dense cities hear the good news about Christ. So, so far in one day, we have seen mighty, mighty Jesus. To help you remember this, look at your hand. Power over nature. Power over to demons and the occult. Nobody else can do that. But we're not finished. They arrive back in Galilee. A crowd is waiting for Jesus. Why? Because he cast out demons. He heals people. He comforts people. He teaches the word of God. He's not like the Jewish leaders. He's compassionate. He feeds thousands of people. A crowd of people. Men, women, teenagers, children, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Greeks. They all went to know Jesus. And in this crowd, a Jewish leader, we don't know what village, but he's a synagogue leader named Jairus. Jairus is desperate. He has a little girl, 12 years old. She's dying. We don't know why. We don't know what kind of disease. But whatever has been tried, whatever doctors or medicine have not worked, Jairus is desperate. Somehow he has heard or seen of Jesus and has heard that Jesus is back in Galilee. Probably Capernaum, his base of ministry. Jairus falls down, begs Jesus, My little girl is dying. Please come help her. Do you notice in the Gospels? Whoever asks Jesus for help gets help because he's loving, kind, compassionate. The leper says, if you're willing, you can heal me. Jesus says, I'm willing. And does the unthinkable, touches him, cleanses him. Jesus does not turn away. 
Those who come to him asking for forgiveness and mercy. Let that be a reminder to us not to go our own way, but to seek Jesus, the compassionate Savior. What does Jesus agree to do for Jairus? Wait a minute. Jairus, I'm hungry. I'm tired. It's been a long boat trip. I got a reservation at the inn. I'll see you tomorrow. Does he do that? No. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. I've got this covered. Let's go to your house. Now, Luke and Mark, don't tell us how far they had to walk, which village, how long it took. But Jesus' days, at least Peter, James, and John, with Jairus, to get to Jairus' place. However, something strange happens on the way. There's a woman in the crowd. She's not named. We don't know her age. But let's assume she's a Jewish woman. But here's a woman. Again, we don't know how. But Mark and Luke tell us that this woman was desperate because she's been sick for 12 years. The Old Testament law says that a woman in her menstrual cycle, her monthly flow of blood is unclean for a period of time. It has to go through a cleansing process. And you're not to touch her. And what she sits on or sleeps on or her husband not to have relations or he'll be unclean. So this woman is unclean by Jewish law for 12 years. It's clear what the gospel writers are getting at. It's like she had her period for 12 years. I know that none of our sisters would want that disease. And she's an outcast. She's unclean. Who would visit her? Maybe not her family. Maybe she has to beg or live outside the village. But for a second, she has hope because she's heard of the mighty Jesus. I don't know how 
But this woman, Luke says, she spent her money on doctors, but the doctors can't help. Again, we don't know the cause of her disease. Maybe it's a tumor. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's fibroids. Maybe today, modern medicine could help her, but they couldn't then. She's hopeless. She's helpless. But, but, there's that God again. But God can help. This woman pushes her way through the crowd because she thinks, if I could just touch her, if I could just touch his shirt or his garment, It's that faith. That's faith, isn't it? She gets to Jesus. Luke says, she touched the hem of his garment. If he's dressed like a rabbi, he would have the dazzles, the bottom of the his rabbi shirt. Most likely, she touched one of those dazzles. And what happens? Bingo! She could feel immediately her bleeding stopped. And she was in good shape. She is well. And instantly, Jesus knows power has gone out of him. And he turns around and he said, who touched me? And he's looking. And the disciples, especially Peter, are you crazy? Everybody's bumping you. And you're thinking, somebody touched you. Jesus is like, no. Somebody touched me on purpose. Who did it? Power went out of me. Finally, the woman, maybe she's afraid, but she comes to Jesus. And she said, I touched you because I knew you could heal me. Does Jesus yell at her? Does he rebuke her? Does he say, you're a foolish woman? No, he talks to her with great tenderness. Daughter of Israel, your faith in me has healed you. Jesus, like the demonic man, 
comes up and speaks. It's a servant of Jairus. Maybe he tugs on Jairus. Hey, boss, I got bad news. I'm sorry, boss. Don't disturb Jesus. Uh, I hate to tell you this. Your daughter died. See, it's been a little bit of time. This woman has delayed Jesus getting to Jairus' house. And the little girl died. How do you think Jairus feels? Hey, if she hadn't interrupted, maybe we would have gotten there. Maybe it's just heart stricken. He's grieving. His precious only daughter. But Jesus comforts this man. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just trust me. And they hurry to Jairus' house. Again, I don't know how long it took to his house in what village. They get to Jairus' house. And there's a chaotic scene. What's happening? The mourners have shown up. In Jewish tradition, you hired people of the village to weep and wail on behalf of the family. The villagers are crying out because the little girl is truly dead. And they know it's hopeless. They know death. Skeptics mock the gospel accounts. Listen, the soldiers at the cross, the centurion, knew Jesus was dead. Their soldiers, they know death. These people, this little girl had died of some disease. That's why you call the mourners. And Jesus says to them, Why are you crying? Why are you weeping? Why the mourners? Now, that sounds like a heartless, ridiculous question to a grieving family. But what does Jesus know? She's not going to be dead for long. You don't know what I can do. See, Jairus hoped perhaps for a healing. But power over death a reanimation to life. Who could do that? Elijah did it back in the old death. 
says to her in Aramaic, Delitha Gum, little girl, arise or sit up. And what happens? Luke says, her spirit instantly comes back and she's restored as a whole person. The same little girl, the same spirit, the same emotions and intellect in the same living body. And Jesus presents this precious little girl back to her parents. And they're stunned. They're amazed. Wouldn't you be? This is remaculous. Remaculous. Never happened before. And Jesus also says, she's been sick. She's weak. Give her some food. Rustle up some crop for her. But don't tell everybody what I did. The word will get around. The brothers and sisters. Power over nature. Power over the occult. Power over disease. Power over death. This mighty, mighty Jesus. But there's one more thing. We're not done. This happened a little while before the events of Luke 8. Jesus has healed the leper. And then God out of Capernaum into the wilderness at the end of Mark 1. They come back to Capernaum. There's crowds of people. He's preaching the word of God from the house. Perhaps the house owned by Peter and Andrew. There's a crowd of people in and out of the house. And Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. And there's a ruckus overhead. You know the story. Four guys brought Jesus, their friend who's paralyzed. He can't walk. They carry him on a litter. But they can't get close to Jesus. What should we do? Let's go up on the roof and make a mess. We'll tear a hole in the roof and we'll lower Jesus so our friend can see Jesus. And Jesus says, Wow, you guys have faith. And he does, he say to the paralyzed man, I heal you. What's he say? He doesn't say, you're, you're healed. What does Jesus say? He says, 
sins are forgiven. Is that what the man came for? He came for healing. He came to walk. Jesus said, that's not your problem. You need forgiveness. You need justification. I can forgive your sins. The synagogue leaders, they rightly question Jesus' words. Why is this carpenter from Nazareth? Why is he blaspheming God? No mere man has the power to forgive sin. They know sin is an affront to God. Only God can forgive this man. Only God can forgive sin. Amazingly, Jesus knows what they're thinking. They didn't verbalize. Jesus says, why are you thinking that? Doesn't that say something about the power of God? He knows our thoughts, besides our words, our deeds. Why are you thinking this? Now Jesus asked a very logical question. Do you think I'm some type of trickster? Some type of magician? Look, anybody could just say, Hey dude, I forgive you. I absolve your sin. Go your way. Isn't that what the Catholic priest does? What power do they really have? They don't. But people want forgiveness from people. So Jesus' question is, couldn't I just say that? Mere words. But I want to tell you, to prove to you that I, the son of man, have the power to forgive sin. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have the power to heal this man. Get up, roll up your bed, and walk home. You don't believe I can forgive sin. Oh, here's a sign of my power. You paralyze me. Get up. Both Mark and Luke said, he immediately stands up. Why was he paralyzed? Who knows? Did he break his neck? Did he have a fall? Did he have a tumor? Did he have spina bifida? Who knows? But now, his spine is strengthened, his muscles strengthened, his legs, ankles, feet made well. He stands up, he takes his mat, he rolls it up, and he says to the crowd, Goodbye, I'm going home. 
that demonic Let's go tell people about you.